Hello, sir. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. Nice. Hello, other sir. Hey, other sirs. <laughs> How's it going? It's going good. Good. Our buddy Adam is here. We had to sign a contract when we started Art of Product that we either mention or have Adam and Steve on the podcast every month or two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Little so known fact. Fulfilling our contractual obligation today. Yeah. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yes. Well, welcome, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you're you're a repeat offender, so it's nice to have you around. <laughs> so uh, I'm having a pretty good week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, What's things are, are going really well. Uh, we're signing up a lot of customers. Nice. Which I, I, I think is the point. Um, and uh, we're doing it, which is pretty legit. So you're like 25 new this week. Wow. Like what? Do least, you, what's the week since Monday? Uh, seven, last seven days. Okay, so it's Thursday, uh, and that's actually twenty-five new trials. So for us, we do paid trials, and I want to talk about this more actually because I was I was tweeting about it and people seemed interested. Um, but so we do that's twenty-five trials, and then had a handful of conversions as well. Um, so things are things are going really well. What's your process right now for the paid trial to conversion to like a real plan? Are you? just kind of automatically charging people after the pay trial or is there a conversation that happens at the end of do automatically charge them i so far manually send them an email and say hey you've got this many seats Uh, we're going to charge you x times that many seats uh, unless you change something let me know if you want to remove anybody that's it so it's not really like a trial in like the traditional sense where there's like a decision that has to be made at the end it's like they've already become a customer and they're like yeah we, we we think of it like a trials because so the way we do it is we charge $99 for your first month regardless of, how, of mm-hmm. how many people there are. So it's kind of like you're trialing it in the sense that you don't have to pay more to sign up more people. So you, you could have 500 developers try it out for 100 bucks. So it's like it's a trial, but it's not a free trial, I guess. And like in Stripe, we like set you up with a subscription that has a 30-day trial on it when you sign up. So we charge 100 bucks, set up a subscription. Um, so from our metric point of view, we don't count someone like churning in that first month as churn. We count them as a failed trial. That whole like paid thing is like working really well. So I think I told you in a past episode, Derek, like this, this came out of like talking to someone and getting a yes, but then like them having to like find out how many seats they wanted to start with. And like, that was just like a, a silly pain point. And so we just picked a number that was like high enough that it was like, okay, you're, you're actually like kind of mean it, uh, but low enough that it felt like a good deal. And it's like, wow, I can try it with 50 people for 100 bucks. That seems reasonable. And most importantly, just like gets the purchase decision done. Like we have the credit card. We're going to charge you unless you tell us not to. Like the default now ends in the happy path as opposed to like, all right, I have to start harassing you. Like, hey, it's almost over. Hey, 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 you want to pay? You're going to lose this. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, hey. And just, yeah, it's just so much nicer now. And, and my email literally is like, like we're going to charge you in four or five days unless you tell me not to. And that's yeah. just a, a way better place to be. I'm really impressed that you're able to pull this off because I feel like, and maybe it's just a lot of people assuming that that's not feasible, but like, I always just assume that like, it has to be free trial. And certainly there are some people that are, that are not signing up for your paid trial because it has payment attached to it. But it seems like you, you're getting enough flow through the door that it's not like, it's not a big enough blocker for you to stop doing it. Right. Totally. Yeah. Uh, there is a little pushback every so often people are like oh like I, can i can i try it before so i can know i want it and i'm kind of like ah no like we're a little team so if we're going to give support we want to do it to our customers check out these testimonials the thing is good. here's a demo video if i haven't convinced you that like it's worth risking 100 bucks oh and by the way i'm going to refund this if you don't like it obviously 
So like there's a little pushback, but it's pretty rare. I'm sure there's some people that just see it and write it off, but I don't know. That, that doesn't bother me. Nice. I'm okay with it. And, and yeah, and by the way, I stole this idea, like like most of my good ideas from Jason Cohen. <laughs> so just, I, I rewatched the Building the Ideal Bootstrap Business Talk just every month now, just to refresh myself. And he, he talks about this exact tactic where he's like, I don't like free trials. Like you're giving people your software for free. That Why is that good? Just offer to give their money back if they don't like it and just don't give them a trial. And I was like, all right, Jason Cohen. Um, but I actually, I actually came to this semi-independently because I had a couple free trials and they sucked. Like I would let people use the software and I'm like, well, this kind of sucks that you get it for free, but whatever. And then like they would just ask for more time or not really use it or and it just, it just, just not really that committed well, to it, right? It's kind of like the same yeah. reason people advocate for pushing people to like annual plans so that people feel like a little bit more invested and in actually giving it a fair shake. Totally. And like I, I've been offering Tuple for free to like um, open source people mm-hmm. and like some nonprofits. And they don't use it either. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, cause it's free. They're just like, cool, we got that. Thanks. And like, maybe they'll start, but uh, they, they have definitely like lower engagement. And I think it's cause like they haven't, you know, put anything out there for it. So I have a question. I mean, I'm about mm-hmm. to basically let in a cohort of people and actually just a just quick part of my update. Like when I said last week, I wanted to invite, you know, at least 500 people in this week. I, for some reason was thinking like, I have roughly a week to do this, but really like, I don't want to invite them on a Friday and we're heading into like a, you know, kind of a holiday weekend. And so I kind of ran out of time to do, to like let people in by Wednesday or Thursday. So I sent out an email today letting folks know that they're going to get access on Monday. So just kind of a warm, warm up email. And I didn't exactly specify the terms of the, of the access. It was basically just kind of a reacquainting them with what level is and, a little teaser of the product and then letting them know like it's coming to them Monday. I actually haven't fully decided like am I doing 30 day free trial? Am I trying to ask this group for some payment up front? But like what would you what would your advice be to me? You can probably guess yeah which way I would lean. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna guess my personal brand is strong enough. Yeah. If you do invite people for free, I mean you have that same problem where it's like maybe they're not so engaged. Your question is less like, hey, what do random people think of Level? And more like, will people pay for this? Is this solving a strong enough need for people that they, they'll, they'll shell out money for it? And so if you invite a bunch of free people and they give you a bunch of feedback, you might just go build that feedback and then find out like, yeah, that turns out it's still, I still haven't solved my real problem, which is getting people to pay for this. I think I would probably try to address that more directly and get them to, to, to pay. Okay. Because my one, my concern with this, and you can probably guess what, what I'm going to say, I'm concerned that it's going to be too constraining and that very few people like people have enough skepticism around like, could this actually be a feasible replacement for Slack? They're just like, eh, I don't know if I'm willing to put money down for this. But if I can just let them like see the product, put their hands on it, get their team in, play around with it, see if other people like it, then it's a much easier potential sell for them to put money down. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the trial. Like if I do the free trial as like, this is just... I know I'm going to allow a lot of people to put their hands on it and only a small percentage of them will convert, but not have, not giving that ability at all. I'm wondering if it's just going to like potentially disqualify paying customers who would have paid had they been able to get a little bit of access to it. So do you think there's any value in like doing a, almost like a, um, like a demo level account that people can just like browse through instead of a trial, like as, as just a different way to let people sort of click around and get a, a sense of how it works. 
That's actually a nice, that's a good idea because I'm already, so this week I've been building a, basically exactly that, a demo account with a bunch of writing like dummy posts, trying to give an idea of like what a full functioning team would look like. And so I could potentially say like, you can, you can create your free user account. It'll immediately spin up a demo for you. You can peruse around. And then if you want to create your own team, then at that point, you kind of have to put your card on file and maybe put down some money. seems like that could be a good middle ground. The the middle ground I might consider is well. So I had two thoughts. One is split that five hundred in half, and ask half of them to pay up front, and then the, give it to the other half for free, maybe, and just see what happens. And that way, if if the paid up front thing is a total flop, you you might get some people in the app anyway on the free cohort. Uh, another thing is you could kind of go in the middle and say it's a credit card up front trial, and I'm going to bill you automatically after n days. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Good things to think about. I'll have to bat that around a little bit more, but yeah. I don't envy you guys, man. You guys have harder <laughs> problems to solve than me, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, neither of us launched a uh, successful ebook. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, yeah, sometimes That's I do right. feel like, uh, like, am I just doing this the hard way? Like, <laughs> maybe there's easier ways to make money. <laughs> I think if it works out, it's awesome. But it sounds yeah. at the beginning, it definitely seems like business on hard mode for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think that yeah, it's like the 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 ramp is steeper, but if you can get up it, it's like it gets better. Mm-hmm. Whereas the info product is like the mountain, and then the the trickle off. Although totally. apparently refactoring UI is still tr- chugging along. I mean, it dropped dramatically. If you look at the chart, it looks like we're making no money anymore because of how high it was at the beginning. But proportionally, it's what i would expect but it just happens to be that it did so well at the beginning that even though it's proportionately the same it's still you know a good chunk of money coming in for sure so yeah it also feels like it feels like it could be a perennial seller like ryan holiday's book where it's like a thing that stays and stays kind of popular for a long time and just kind of keeps selling it's fairly i think that the principles involved are also timeless that could and you just have so you have a lot of good channels feeding into that totally yeah we definitely try to write it that way for sure i'm not sure we're actually going to have the motivation to do the work necessary to make it a perennial seller you know what i mean (laughs) it's one of those things where it's like yeah there's all these things we could do to kind of keep that selling for a long long period of time but at the same time like i don't want to create a job for myself either right i just want to like keep working on the next fun thing and kind of keep myself engaged apologies for screaming child but i'm sure that can't even hear it i mean you could um you can run a black friday sale once a year and you know yep that always works pay your mortgage for the rest of the year and then (laughs) go back to whatever you were doing yep for sure cool Hmm. um what else you got ben i didn't mean to derail your update what else you got no it's okay yeah um I'm, I'm talking about my tweets now. That's what we do. But I was tweeting about like how much to share around things where it's like, do I, and I've been like trying to collect opinions from, from smart people. I have a friend who says, you know, like I started sharing my revenue, revenue numbers. And then other people were like, Hey, that's a great business. I should start one too. And like, I'm gonna make a competitor to you based on the things you told me to do. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of lame. But also, I don't know. I, I think the, I think I've actually come down on the whole, like, don't worry about it side. Where it's like, I feel like my default, my preference, my like uh, personal philosophy is on the share stuff because it's maybe useful. And like, we're going to have competitors and that's just kind of have to be fine. There's plenty of money out there. 
Yeah, I think it doesn't really make a lot of sense to worry too much about like the people coming behind you trying to do what you're doing because that means you're already a step ahead of them anyways, you know what I mean? I'm sure that in the real world, there are a lot of examples of people copying people and eating their lunch or whatever, but I don't think uh, it makes a ton of sense to stress about that too much. I think it makes more sense to focus on just being the best option, you know? Totally. Yep. And and being useful and teaching, which is, yeah, kind of how the audience, how I got an audience in the first place. It's like why I think so much of our success is what it is. Were you particularly worried about, like, were you thinking about sharing revenue, Ben? Or was it like, was there some other specific thing you were? Yeah, concerned? I guess it, it was revenue. That The yeah. specific thing was like, hey, like, this is, this looks like it might be actually a hell of a business. Mm-hmm. Like, should I have shut up about it? Mm-hmm. And just be like, oh, yeah, things are good. Yeah, it's fine. Like, do people not realize that this is a good business? Like, am I, am I really saving <laughs> any secrets? Right. It's like, hey, it's like, there's no hosting costs, effectively. Yeah. And uh, they're developers. And they don't have a lot of support requests. And uh, this is pretty good. I don't know that there's like a ton of value in sharing exact numbers for things like like what would the actual benefit of that be you know what i mean i think there's a lot of value in sharing like what has worked for you in terms of like we kind of kept our pricing secret so we could test a bunch of different prices we focused on like direct sales at the beginning blah 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 blah. but like telling people that you made x number of dollars i don't know that that necessarily helps someone other than to think oh maybe i should build a video sharing app too you know so i always feel like point in time data with context around it is far more helpful than just a live updated constant dashboard of revenue data for example i'm always a little bit squeamish about like the when i know a company has like published their bare metric stuff publicly it's like something about that just makes me uneasy even though like i don't know i think everyone everyone who's done it is probably doing okay and hasn't really suffered negative ramifications from it but the most valuable form of revenue sharing i've seen has been like a blog post summarizing like we did x y and z and that led to this this type of difference in revenue or something like that you know Hmm. yeah there's part of me that worries or is like realizes that like part of it is i kind of just want to brag a little bit (laughs) or something where i'm kind of like hey like i'm i did a good thing and like this is how good it is in numbers so like you should think i'm cool and smart right yeah, and it's like that's not the right reason to share stuff like that. Yeah, probably not. So but I just you can still Adam. share that with your friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just I just sent it to Adam every couple of days, and yeah, <laughs> it's, it's weird. Like that, there, there's like a thing with like microconf people where I feel like no one flinches around sharing stuff, and no one's ever like, "Wow, you're bragging by saying you have a business that's X size or you did this kind of dollars," and everyone just kind of like, it, there's a really nice like uh, just kind of flat response to things almost because there's like a weird social thing in like normal interactions where it's like you wouldn't be like you wouldn't tell someone how much money you make or like brag about whatever but in microconf it's kind of like matter of fact and i think having a couple people in your circle who are like that and you can be like yo this is this is ridiculous like i launched this thing and look what's happening uh is really kind of nice without worrying about that kind of social thing i think a lot of the people kind of in our circles kind of knows like what what a typical growth rate looks like or what typical revenue numbers look like. And so when you have something that's out of the ordinary, it's like it's it already has context built in around it. And it's not just like what sounds like a big number to someone who doesn't really know kind of how these types of businesses work and then could be like, oh, my gosh, Ben is rich, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, definitely not rich yet. So. <laughs>
don't think that happened. I think it'll I, ironically, happen. did I tell you I, I qualified for like the Massachusetts you don't make any money healthcare plan? No. Because <laughs> like I looked at my income over the last handful of months and like just like just made a guess as to like what we do. And I had I just had no idea. And so I just like modeled out what a year might look like. And they're like, congrats, you're like basically in poverty. So here's free health care. Um, and like, so I, I got my like poor person health card. And then in like a couple of days later, I was like, this is not going to be valid for very long, <laughs> which is kind of cool. I kind of um, missed the boat on that, like timing wise, like when I had to re-enroll in insurance, I was like, do they want to know about like my previous year's income or like my <laughs> my zero dollar income? Like, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of missed the boat on some of those benefits, but oh well, hopefully it'll be a temporary state anyways. So it won't really matter in the end. What are you up to these days, Adam? Yeah, so right now I'm kind of doing a bunch of different things, but the main thing I'm trying to get out the door is finishing up like the 1.0 release of Tailwind, um, which is mostly just documentation stuff at this point. Um, I think the code is done, but I really want the docs to be actually finished and awesome before I say this is done because I think documentation is probably the most important thing for the success of any open source project, really. Like the the onboarding has to be really good. Everything has to be clear. People have to know how it works. And having a bunch of like work in progress or coming soon pages in the docs when it's supposed to be 1.0, I think is a bad look. So I got a, a few more sort of articles to write in the docs. Um, and then uh, that'll be kind of done. So I was hoping to get that done this week, but I kind of got knocked out with a bit of a cold. Um, so I'm hoping to finish that up uh, next week. But something that I've been thinking about a lot that I'd like to get your guys' take on is my my whole plan like coming into this year was that I wanted to spend like the whole year more or less focused on Tailwind and the surrounding ecosystem. And we've kind of talked about this before, I think, on maybe the one of the other times I was on the show about how like I've got a bunch of these like courses and products and stuff, and those all make me a great living, but Tailwind it's is probably the highest impact project that I work on and there's no like monetary reward for that which is fine like I like that it's free I like that everybody can use it but it would be awesome if there was a way that I could work on it make it free for people to use and somehow get paid for that you know what I mean so that they're so that it's sustainable right so me and Steve have been trying to figure out like what can we do around Tailwind that doesn't change anything about the actual project in terms of it being open source and free and stuff, but would provide like some extra value that makes sense to people to pay for. Um, so the first thing that I thought of was like basically like some sort of like theme marketplace, right? Kind of like Bootstrap has an official theme marketplace and you can kind of reverse engineer some of the numbers on there because they list like how many sales each theme has gotten stuff. And it looks like they're probably doing pretty good. Now, of course, like that's a huge, huge project compared to Tailwind. But still, I think there's like an interesting model there, like basically designing and building stuff that's more off the shelf done for you, for people where it's like, yeah, of course I would pay for this. And you still have like the low level Tailwind stuff if you want to do things custom. But the more I kind of thought about that, the more I was kind of worried that that it didn't really solve the problem that I think most people have. So this is where I'm curious to kind of get your guys take, um, which is, I feel like when you're trying to sell like a theme in the case of Tailwind, you can imagine a theme is really just like a bunch of pre-built components in, in a consistent style. Uh, and the deliverable is mostly HTML because Tailwind is 
mostly just you writing HTML. You're not really doing a lot of CSS or anything. I feel like a theme is sort of um, something that you buy at the beginning of a project. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I have some idea. I, I don't know how to design. So I'm going to get some off-the-shelf sort of starting points. But I think that there's more people in positions where they're adding new UI to existing products than there are people creating new products. Does that sound right to you guys? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So how could it not be? Yeah, right? exactly. Like if, if a product list exists for a while, you have like one day where it's the first day and then like thousands yeah, of yeah, other days. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it seems like kind of a missed opportunity to try and create like themes where even if like the themes contain stuff that would be valuable on an existing project, you know, it's like, oh, uh, they've got like this sidebar layout in this theme. I'd like to add that to this new backend section of the app that we're working on. I'm just going to buy this theme and use that as a starting point. I think sort of like branding it as a theme sort of removes that product from the solution space um, in that person's mind. You know what I mean? And I know like on the Tailwind docs right now, we have like a bunch of component examples, just like random examples of like, here's like how you might build like some alerts with Tailwind or how you might build some forms or how you might build some, you know, blog article preview cards or whatever. And those pages get a lot of traffic. And I know like people like Justin Jackson, for example, I see him like streaming him hacking around with Tailwind and, and he's not like trying to learn the CSS stuff. He's just like digging through these examples, copying and pasting stuff and using that as a starting point. So it made me think like, maybe like the best, you know, premium offering for Tailwind would be something like some sort of premium sort of, you know, authenticated area that's just like a huge gallery of well-designed, pre-implemented, like responsive components, all kind of based on Tailwind's defaults. So it's all very like portable across most projects. If you've done a ton of customizations, like maybe it won't totally work for you, but trying to solve for like the the 90% use case. But what I'm having a hard time figuring out is like, what does that actually look like in terms of like a pricing model and as a product? Like if it's an area with a login, does it make sense that like you're paying some recurring amount for something like that? Would people yes. pay that? <laughs> yes. I think so too. But like, would you pay, like what would you pay on what period? For access uh, I mean, the first like number that. that pops in my head is like 100 bucks a year. Yeah, okay. So we were kind of thinking something similar to that as well. Yeah. And you think like the idea of charging on an annual basis only probably yeah. makes more sense? I do. Something about it being like a catalog of things I might come back to to grab one or two of every so often yeah. feels to me like I would just want the annual thing. I don't want to think every month like, oh, did, did I, I use any it? components yeah. this month? Should I go cancel this thing? I guess I haven't used it in two months. Maybe I should cancel. I'd rather just know like, oh, there's that $99 charge. Like, yeah, that just gives me whenever I want to pull a whatever off that thing I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes sense too. And then the other element that I was thinking, because I mean, this is sort of a meta discussion, but part of me is sort of like afraid that trying to, I'm trying to decide like, okay, you know, people talk about like the, like Rob Walling talks about his like stair step approach where it's like you start with one-time sales stuff and eventually you kind of work your way up to recurring stuff. And that's sort of like the holy grail of, you know, a software business or whatever. So on one hand, I'm thinking like, I'd like to get into the recurring revenue space because I don't have that yet. Um, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm thinking, am I like throwing away 
um, an amazing business model that has worked really well for me on so many other things, which is just like the one-time sale thing, to try and chase something that like is maybe supposed to be theoretically better, but not actually better. Or maybe that's like a fear thing. You know what I mean? So all that comes down to basically like, I wonder if there's an an opportunity for like a lifetime plan. That was like something I was considering where, you know, if the LTV of a customer on something like this, maybe they stay subscribed for like two years typically, which is impossible to know, of course, now, but if there was a $99 a year plan or a 249 lifetime plan, I wonder if that's a good idea. And then I wonder, should there even be a subscription? You know what I mean? I don't know. So I've just been kind of like wrestling with that in my head, trying to figure out like what makes sense. Is there actually like recurring value that people are getting that makes sense to be paying on a recurring basis? Or are people going to be like, not enough components were added this month. I want my money back. You know, like sort of that like content treadmill that I'm sure you experienced working on Upcase, a ThoughtBot, for example, too. I think the difference between Upcase and something like this would be people conceivably go to Upcase, they watch the 10% of what's there that they were interested in. And then if we don't add new things that they're interested in, they've gotten the value. The value all happened all upfront and they cancel because I'm charging them recurring for things that don't feel valuable to them. Whereas to me, I would I would buy something like this, expecting to use it a little here and there on a continuous basis. And so I would know that the value was going to come down the line or would continue to come in the future. And it wouldn't be coming because you added 2,000 new components this year. I mean, I think you would probably want to drip out some to make it seem like, oh, this is clearly, it's vibrant enough. I This is getting bigger. Every time I come back, there's some new stuff. And you email me every quarter and say, hey, we made some new things just to make me feel even better about staying subscribed. But I, I would see my, my value as... as dripping out anyway so i'm happy to pay on a recurring basis or happier i would say yeah makes sense you have any thoughts derek i yeah i'm i'm kind of on the fence about the subscription model only because i wonder how i'm just thinking for myself if i were to think of this as signing up for a subscription it seems like there would have to be a pretty compelling case for like why i should be subscribed and not just like log in and download the whole catalog and so then it seems like you would have to be positioned as something that is updated frequently or, or you know, has a continual stream of things coming into it. But then it's like, do you want to set yourself up to be on what might be a treadmill or maybe I'm just overthinking it and like it's still fine to position as a subscription. But I think that's my one, my one yeah. concern. Yeah, I agree. There's another element of it too, which is just like, do I want to be on the hook for making new stuff forever? You know what I mean? Anyone I know who's involved in something like that has gotten burnt out on it, I think. And it's very different from like SaaS, I think, where if some SaaS tool I pay for, like say Stripe, if Stripe never adds another new feature again, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm still getting new value from them every month. Or if ConvertKit never adds another new feature, I don't care. Like I'm paying for it for what it's doing for me on a recurring basis. Whereas um, something like this, I I wonder if it's a little less obvious that there's like recurring value. Um, but then it's then I wonder too, like if you look at um, Justin's like Mega Maker Club, it's like a membership product, and he only does like a one time fee thing for it. It's like three hundred bucks or something, and and I th- I, w- I would bet that there's a lot of people who buy it that would never even sign up for like one month if it was like $19 a month. You know what I mean? 
I don't know. Yep. There's just like some, there's some like huge psychological obstacle to signing up for something that's recurring versus something that's like yeah. a done deal. Yeah. And, and if you can get your LTV up front, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's actually way better. Yeah. Right? Hmm. But you can't know what it is. Like it no. could be that you can <laughs> add a couple things to this per year and people stay subscribed for three or four years. And so you're, I don't know. The other thing I was thinking is like, is there, is there other elements that we could add to it that would make it feel more membershipy? You know what I mean? And I don't have any great ideas for this, but like in my head, I I sort of pitched this on Twitter as sort of like a a open ended question, but like, imagine there was a tailwind Patreon, for example, and I don't really believe in Patreon or that whole like donations to make money model, but uh, in people's heads, they sort of, they know what Patreon is and like there's tiers and there's different perks at different tiers. So like what sort of perks would, would people be interested in? And most people just said like they wanted like pre-built components, which was pretty awesome. But I wonder if there's like other little things that you could do that make it feel more like you're in a club and not like you bought a product, you know what I mean? Like maybe there's like a live stream every two weeks or something. That's only for people who are, members or something but then it's like content treadmill again right so i don't know it's tricky you had mentioned before when we were talking about refactoring ui that that like some people had expressed like oh i don't get the code for all the designs in this is there an opportunity to like kind of bridge the two together where like this gallery kind of aligns with a lot of the work that steve had already done on the designs and it's kind of like by that package yeah i'm not sure how that would work as like necessarily like as a a product, I guess it could just be, I mean, we, we had thought about, okay, maybe we build this like component gallery product, this tailwind component directory thing. And maybe there's like an upsell, uh, where it's like ad refactoring UI for X discounted price or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, it's all the same business and it's just me and Steve working on stuff. So we can do kind of interesting things like that pretty easily. But yeah, you're right that like one of the most common pieces of feedback we heard was people who were kind of disappointed that there wasn't a lot more like done for you HTML and CSS examples, which I don't think the book should have included that, but it is a signal that like what we're thinking about doing with this tailwind stuff is something that people actually want so like in my gut like i want to do just like the lifetime thing i think because it just feels like we could charge more money for it and people will just buy it because they don't have that like oh i don't like that they have my credit card on file and they might charge me and what if they make it hard to cancel and like all this crap that people have to worry about because of all these sketchy businesses that have like ruined that for everybody (laughs) now by making things hard and you don't have to deal with a strong authentication thing coming up. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Less, yeah. I guess. yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm just wondering like what, what you guys think of that as an idea. Like, does it seem like a, a stupid cowardly move? Does it feel, does it sound like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just playing no. it safe or does it definitely not seem smart? No, I, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. You're going to put a awesome premium product in front of, tons of people that love you and want to support your work and a bunch of people are going to buy it and like you can't really mess this up okay that's my take on it yeah i feel like the the capturing the lifetime value up front takes some of the pressure off of 
Like, are you, if it's recurring, are you going to always have this nagging thing in the back of your mind of like, ah, I need to go back and like add more stuff to this thing. And like, if it's a lifetime, then you could go, you know, you could go six months, you could go a year, whatever, and not potentially not add anything if you're busy yeah, on other projects. Totally. And it's like, it's no big deal because everyone, everyone who paid got the value that is in the product. Yeah. Today, it's like you're you paying know? for what's there now. Yeah. Which it's a very good point. I think like matching the model and requirements to your proclivities is really smart and like you seem to like to switch gears i do yeah for sure but then it just opens up this question of like okay well there's another one-time sale product in the portfolio like when do i finally start making money on a recurring basis you know what i mean i mean who (laughs) maybe never maybe i just like maybe i make all the money i need now and then i'm just done yeah i think yeah i think you're gonna be okay If every so often you launch a million dollar one-time sale, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, probably. But, I mean, there was a conversation on Twitter the other day that made it sound like that maybe wasn't the case. Oh, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have have thoughts on that. So, Derek, do you know what he's talking about? There was was some thread about, like, now I make $250,000 a year and it doesn't feel like enough. Oh, or something like that. What, yeah. what was the? What was the I, genesis I think of the this, genesis Adam? of it was like Justin was saying. Uh, he was responding to Jordan talking about like uh, Justin's article that he put out recently about like should you actually charge more, and Justin was saying like you know if we can grow our business to be like fifty k a month in MRR, I'm totally happy if it never gets bigger than that. And there was a bunch of people kind of saying, well, you might think that, but you know here's why. You actually need to make a million dollars a year. Otherwise, you're destined to live in a back alley in a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is very much a, a Paul Jarvisy kind of uh, thing to discuss of like, is it really is it a fallacy that you can find year enough and be happy with it? Or do you always need more? Right. That seems like that was kind of what it was speaking to. And I don't know. I like to think we can all find our enough and and be happy. <laughs> I see both sides of it. Cause one side of it is like, well, yeah, say you're making 250 grand a year, which is a crazy amount of money to be making in a year. If you're working for yourself, there's not really any guarantee that you're going to make that for ever. Right. You're only going to make that as long as like you can be relevant or whatever. And if you're not making more every year, I can also see the argument for like, your business is either like growing or dying. Like it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of examples out there of businesses who just make the same amount every single year. You know what I mean? It's like either you're doing something good and more people are finding out about you and therefore you're making more money even if you don't want to, or, you know, people are not buying your stuff anymore and you're losing customers. Like I, I don't, it makes sense to me that you're either going in one direction or the other. Hmm. To me that, that like you're either growing or you're dying kind of mantra I always tend to apply that more to like, if you think someone who thinks they can just like build a SaaS, put it in autopilot mode. And even if it's not growing, like if they don't do and make any changes to it, then it's fine. And like, I feel like, like that way of thinking about a recurring business is dangerous because the odds that some other player won't, won't come around and build something more valuable than what you've built because you're not actually evolving over time. That's where it can get dangerous. And like, yeah, a plateau will lead to a decline, but I feel like if you're keeping the product relevant to what your market wants, then then I don't necessarily know if like there's a particular growth rate that's required for your business to stay alive. Yeah. And I kind of feel like it doesn't have to be like some crazy growth rate. But if you're growing by like even 0.05% a year, at least that 
that's like a sign that, you know, you're on a, a positive trajectory. I guess it, it just, I'd be surprised if there's businesses out there who literally just like stay the same all the time, you know? It's pretty demoralizing to work. Uh, so Upcase did that for a while. Like we hit something like 30K MRR or, or something and we just couldn't get past it. And like churn equaled new signups month after month after month after month. And it was like depressing. <laughs> and like it was crazy because like that's that's a lot of money. And like by a lot of measures, that's a big success. But it was just like, well, it's not a lot of money to thought about compared to consulting. And it isn't really fun to work on the same thing over and over again and just like constantly have this feedback like, nope, that's not it. You didn't do it. Same number as last month. Yeah, it wasn't fun. I just, I gave up. <laughs> I moved on to a different project. <laughs> I was like, let me go work on FormKeep. This will be more fun. Yeah. yeah, so all that to say, I guess maybe maybe the one-time sale life is my life. Maybe that's Maybe that's my destiny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I guess like, what are you giving up? I guess maybe in two years, you still have half of the people that signed up in year one or something. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like maybe you have some, you have like a, some non-negligible amount of renewals. And so like three years in, it's like, wow, we're making just like crazy money off renewals on this. And every month, a bunch more of them hit. And I'm I'm doing a little bit on this, but not that much. Uh, so you, you might be trading like a potentially bigger amount later for more upfront sales it's it's all really complicated because like on one hand like i i feel like it would be awesome to have like a software business and work on a software product on our all the time and continuously improve it but on the other hand i kind of feel like i don't really know that i want to be like constantly on the hook for things or feel like I have a job or feel like I always have to have my laptop with me when I go places. I kind of like the life I have now where I basically spend like 90% of the year in like R and D mode, just kind of like doing fun stuff and learning new stuff and then turning that into some valuable thing once in a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the, there's like a part of your brain that like sees other people or like sees this sort of model and it's like, I should want that. But all your actions are kind of not pushing you in that direction. Yeah. So the thing here might just be kind of accepting, like, you actually don't want that. And also, by the way, you're doing okay. Like, it's, yeah. you're Somehow. not, like, missing out on yeah. anything. I would still like to build a software product one day, but maybe I just need to figure out a way to have that fit into my existing framework instead of making that a business, you know? Yes. And I think coming at this and saying, like, ooh, I thought of a software product I really want to make, as opposed to, how do I make something that gives me recurring revenue? Like, how do I shoehorn something into that totally. that is, like, near me? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But you guys are chasing the recurring revenue dream. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's great. You're missing out. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. And and, and the, the deeper I get back into yet another SaaS, I mean, it's just, I, I'm reminded all the time that, like, it's an aspiration for a lot of people to get to the recurring SaaS, but also like keeping a service up 24 seven and well supported in like a way that's actually like you're legitimately providing the level of service that, that your customers expect is non-trivial and extremely difficult for like a one, especially someone who's solo or, or wants to be on a very small team, you know, like to truly get redundancy of people watching the server infrastructure. It's like, well, you need at least a handful of engineers 
because you can't just like hire one person even and say like, now you're on call 24 seven, you know, like you kind of, <laughs> you start to look for redundancy in roles. And I think this is something that Jason Cohen has talked about when, he, when like starting WP engine and like, well, we needed to offer round the clock support. And to do that, you need like a team of at least 10 support people to actually honestly set, do, you know, round the clock support. And so, yeah, like SAS is, is definitely not all roses. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Peer-to-peer desktop apps, though. Oh, that's that's maybe where it's at right there. <laughs> it's pretty nice. The fact that the bits don't have to flow through your servers is pretty. It's amazing to me. So amazing, yeah. And like we just looked today, and it's like, okay, we're on the Heroku two X Dino, and there's like a there's two levels above this level, and so it's like we might be able to be like one Heroku Dino, and a database and Redis. Uh, for like a long time if action cable you know scales well with additional system resources worst case scenario i'm sure derek could whip you up a a little web socket (laughs) server (laughs) that is one thing i've thought about like it seems like elixir is made for this right yeah yeah. totally yeah like having just a ton of connections to it simultaneously yeah Mm -hmm. so i guess we'd have to interface like yeah but there's, there's there's increasingly large amounts of business logic involved with that it's not just a you know the rails app is getting more and more complex day by day but yeah, maybe like a thing that just handles the connections and then ask the Rails app for stuff could be yeah. an eventual architecture. What sort of but stuff does the Rails app do? What what does it do? Yeah, like I'm sure it, that's where you kind of keep track of people. It's like who's on Teams or people's friends lists and stuff like that. But yep. what other sort of stuff is kind of hidden in there? Um, inviting new people. Like now we give a team an invite link and so it lets you sign up directly onto that team. Um, that is where it sends out invoices uh, and then when the invoice gets paid, it sets up a subscription on Stripe and then connects that to the team. And so we know whose subscription is what and, and all that. Uh, in a couple of days, it's going to start sending the, um, your trials about to get billed email that we've been doing manually. Yeah. Uh, just, just that kind of stuff. Do you expect there's ever going to be like a web portal that people have to log into, or are you actively trying to make, like avoid there ever being like an actual web UI? No, there's going to be a web UI. Um, so like team management, for example, mm-hmm. is, is our, so we're shipping that this week. Nice. Just like who's on the team and how do you like removing somebody and, and whatnot. Firing we're, people. There's basically, what's that? Firing people. <laughs> Firing people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've been doing the, um, like, it's just like to add people, give them this link and anyone can click this link. To remove people, email us. <laughs> it's like <laughs> classic. Um, to sign up, pay the Stripe invoice. To cancel, email me. Uh, but so we gotta you know make that a little easier but i'm 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 like pretty happily automating myself out of a job over here which is great like i've been my, my hands hurt from typing so much i'm just like a professional email sender and follow-upper right now and like moving more things off my plate is great like before i used to go in the stripe ui and like make the new customer and then set, set the email right and then like generate the invoice and then send that over and then wait till they paid it and they paid it and then go create the subscription and then go go to the rails console and make the team and then find the, and just like all these steps and then like ask them for the list of emails and then email those people invites after, after making an account for each one in the console and so it's like it's now already getting more streamlined and like someday like it's just going to be it's going to be totally self-serve are you doing most of the work on the rails app uh it's it's a mix it's actually mostly joel okay i guess is doing the real stuff and i'm doing a little bit here and there just the email with your superhuman uh, keyboard all... shortcuts yeah i got yeah, an so invite good. to that the other day but i haven't bit the bullet on it yet it's great do yeah. it 
Yeah, right. that's yeah. great. I like it. It's pretty good. I don't think I do nearly as much email as you, Ben, but I still like yeah. it's um it's still amazing. Yeah. It would have been much less of a life upgrade before I started doing sales for a living. Now it is tremendously useful to me. What do you think is like the most important thing that it lets you do that you couldn't do before? I can take an email and I can say, hey, like shoot me a note when you're ready to do this. Uh, and then I can mark that email to, as to remind me in X days, X hours on X date, whatever. Um, and only if they haven't replied. That's cool. So it kind of just makes it a lot easier to know if you need to follow up with people on things. Exactly. So like in the morning at eight o'clock, the things that I've deferred until that day just sort of show up and like, hey, here are these emails that you were waiting on and I can you know defer them again or, or ping people again. My persistent politeness and all that or polite persistence over and over and over again. Um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. But also, also snippets has really good like snippet support. And so like, I just now I, like, I'm just getting like kind of maniacal about like everything that I say to somebody more than once or twice, I, th- snippet, I create a snippet yeah. for it. I was almost thinking, I was thinking about this today because we use like Help Scout for the support for the refactoring UI book stuff. And I was thinking, man, I wonder if I should just like use Help Scout as an email client for myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, there's all this functionality that's just built in there to let you just like chug through, through totally. email. And it sounds and that- like superhumans kind of like, trying to do the same sort of thing but actually branding itself as an email client and not as a help desk yeah and it's it's yeah and the snippets are a game changer like and i've I've been doing it for individual sentences now like i type thanks for the feedback exclamation point like you know 20 times a day and so now that's a snippet and just like just like every little short thing um and like people ask us like certain like they have certain objections or like how come you don't have a free trial boom free trial snippet send like just i just do that constantly um and also, not to, to like this is not to be discounted. It is ridiculously fast. Everything, every action is really fast. It will make you. It has made me uh, critical of other apps I use because it's so fast. Like the search is so fast. I complain to Stripe. Like your search is very slow. And part of this is I'm used to Stri- Superhuman now. But like, come on. And like Notion and like other apps, just everything feels clunky. Like 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 very slow compared to it. Is there a? Do you use it on your phone too? Yes. Nice. I do both. It has some nice stuff on the phone too, where it's like you can take an email and you can like snooze an email until you get back to your desktop. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I can say like, remind me that it's a Monday or I can say, remind me when I'm back on my desktop. Oh, like I'm not going to do this. So many situations I read something on my phone, but it's like impractical to reply. And then I never remember to get back to the person like every Twitter DM ever, basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, 100%. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of yeah. cool. It has some good innovations to get you to do inbox zero more reliably. I'd say the biggest thing is that when it shows, like Gmail will show you an unread count. Um, but uh, what that leads to is like marking stuff as unread to like come back to it later and whatnot, just like leaving your inbox. Um, Superhuman leave, says any email you have not explicitly marked as done or snoozed is part of your count of undone stuff. So it's like Ben's email, six. And it's like, no, I've read all those six emails. Yeah, but you have not You're dealt not, with them. You have not yeah, actioned yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, cool. Get your shit together. <laughs> I like it a lot. Nice. Maybe I'll check it out. Do you have uh, mm-hmm. multiple email accounts or do you just use one for everything? Because I, kn- I do. I have a tuple one and a Ben one. And you just have them any. both set up in Superhuman? Because one of the things that like, yes. I, I filled out their survey or whatever, and they said they don't have support for like combined inboxes yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't mind having work and personal separate though. That yeah, for me, me, I just have work and personal in two accounts which mixed in like a bunch of, it's like it's a big mess, but 
because I have a unified inbox and the tool I use currently, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Theoretically, um, having them split is nice because I can just like go uh, look at my personal stuff and not think about work. But I think about work all the time. Mm-hmm. So it just <laughs> means I just have two tabs open in Superhuman. Mm-hmm. So yeah. nice. in practice. And I mostly ignore my personal email now because it's just not as interesting because it's never a Stripe payment notification. You set up both uh, in the Superhuman client and then you can like control one, control two right use the control yes. shortcut to kind of switch between them so i will do that too because i have a work i separate work and personal it's yep. pretty fast and yeah and the keyboard shortcuts are amazing like there's keyboard shortcuts for stuff you wouldn't think there would be like oh like add a bcc to this email or like they have this feature called instant intro so it's like it detects that someone has introed you via email like just like with machine learning or something and then you can hit a shortcut, which is like, it says, thanks, introing person, moving you to BCC. And it does that and then puts the other person in two and then like starts the email for you. And it's just like, that's just, just handy. It's like they, they just, just kind of get it. Also, when you start typing a day, if you put a date in an email, it pops open your calendar in the sidebar. So like, how about we meet on Thursday? And it, like Thursday opens up, you're like, at one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But also from that email, there's a keyboard shortcut to advance it to Friday or back to Wednesday. Yeah. Whatever. That's sweet. I think I'm going to give it a go because I, uh, anyone who's putting that level of effort into like trying to like optimize every single step of, you know, every part of the process, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting even just as like an example of like Definitely. how good you can make something if you pay attention to, yes, you know, what parts suck that you, it sounds like they just have like an incredibly low pain tolerance for, for things in email it's like okay thursday at i have to go open my calendar to find out what time um i should not Never. have to do that yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and that's that's throughout that's just constantly they're just they really really sweat those details and i just love that and anybody but especially in an app i have to use so much mm-hmm. i'll be honest I'm, I'm partially a paying user because one i want a nice email client and two i want to get inspiration on how to build communication tools mm-hmm. well for my own communication tools mm-hmm. and I've, I've gotten definitely some inspiration from them already so mm-hmm. yeah man we should have gotten them to sponsor this episode to <laughs> <Right. laughs> send them an invoice Which they want to, I, send them so i asked them to send if they had an uh, like an affiliate program because like the internet is rabid for this and so like every time i mention that i use it i get like 12 dms being like can i have a referral please um it's so, like i could but like they don't they don't need to <laughs> turns out like i wish they would but no Derek, did you you didn't quite update? We kind of talked about it a little bit. Is there anything else going on? Uh, in your world? No, I think that was pretty much my update. Is that I, I got that okay. email sent out. Um, so great public accountability. <laughs> yes. I sent it to the five hundred, and they cool. Monday they'll get their they'll get their official uh, link to get into the product. Which way do you think you're going to go? If you had to guess at this point, um, I definitely want to offer the demo team for free. Now I'm just up in the air on whether it's going to be credit card required or money required to create your team your own team i think you're kind of between those two so and also well the other the other kicker is like am i gonna have time to build the like i don't have any like stripe direct stripe connection on the level side yet so like just adding that credit card form shouldn't take me that long but it's just yet another thing to to build so have you seen if i run out of time for that then stripe I, has a new version of their checkout product that you can actually use do. for subscriptions so it's like fully hosted form you literally oh, just really? link to it and you can set up what plans that connects to and stuff like that. So you actually don't have to build anything. Okay. And it looks really I, I good. I will give that I will give that a look. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we can probably just wrap then. Yeah. 
Thanks for having me back on, guys. It was fun chatting with yeah, you. Man. It's always fun. I like having you on. Totally. Thanks for being here. Show notes, Mr. Derek. Yes, show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.